Well, Father, I come before you and I want to lift up my brother Tyson and my sister Candace as they consider what's next uh, for them. We pray for uh, next weekend. That'll be very clarifying. And Lord, if it's your will, it'll be obvious to all parties involved. In the meantime, Lord, as we look after our church and what you have for us, I pray that this will be a message that will stir us and help us to think about the future and the future that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of this sermon is All Hands on Deck. And just so you know, I knew this announcement was coming, so I kind of cheated in coming up with that. And uh, for those of you who've been here last week, you know that last week was Alvin's last Sunday. And then Tyson made this announcement. And I want to let you know that there won't be a third announcement coming next week. I am, I am here for the foreseeable future as long as God would have me. And while this, uh, yeah, and as far as the elders are concerned, uh, we always knew that Tyson was gifted for, for ministry. We knew that at some point in time he would move on to another opportunity. We didn't think it would be um, this soon. And so some of you are probably wondering what we're going to do next. Well, we don't know. <laughs> Can I just be honest? Is that okay? And so what we're going to do is we're going to have a, um, on June 3rd through the 4th, we're going to have a, uh, an elder retreat, and we're going to talk through some of these issues, kind of taking a lot of the needs and data points of our church. And then hopefully the following Sunday, we'll have like an all-church Sunday school and kind of report back to you some of our findings and some of the directions going forward. And so if you ask us what we're going to do, the answer will be, we're praying about it, we don't know, but pray for us. But like going back to just the title of the sermon, uh, you know, it's all hands on deck. It's a naval term, where if you were in the Navy or the British Navy, you, you would know that there were two to three watches on every ship, right? Crews would take turns rotating. and But sometimes the captain would be on deck and he'd see billowing storm clouds or an enemy vessel and he'd talk to the boatswain. The boatswain would blow the whistle like the special code and everyone knew that you need to stop what you're doing. There is an emergency that requires all hands on deck. And I want to just level with you about just where we are uh, as a church. Uh, COVID has definitely had, a, I'll use a SAT word, a deleterious impact on the church. There's something like when you're working out every day and then you stop working out, what happens? It's easier to skip future workouts. Uh, because of necessity, we've had to shut down different ministries. We had to restart things up. And what we found is the uh, amount of people who re-engaged that were engaged before has gone down. And it has put uh, a stress and a strain on various ministries where many people have had to carry and, and shoulder extra burdens. And you do that for a long enough time, uh, it does begin to wear them down. Uh, we see this particularly in the, in the children's ministry. Uh, we're at a point right now where we may have to dial back some of our kids' worship offerings. Uh, Tuesday morning Bible study, which has just been a lifeline to many young moms who are struggling through those early years. Uh, we're at a point right now where we're not sure if we're going to be able to offer uh, child care uh, for them next year. Uh, 
I mean, that's just where we are. On top of that, we are seeing some of the greatest opportunities for gospel impact that we've had in a long time. We have multiple people who have contacted our church just out of the blue seeking biblical counseling. I think about what Jesus says in Matthew 9, 37 through 38, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Right? And so there is a need for more workers. Yeah, and so you have some of these issues, the fact that some of our faithful workers, think about the Davises who ran VBS the last four years excellently, have moved away, and now they're a blessing to another church. We're looking at losing uh, potentially two pastors and their families. And some of these gaps, I'm just being honest with you, they're getting bigger. They're getting bigger. And the opportunities are greater. And so what do we do? Well, let's go out and just hire people. Well, that's easier said than done, right? How long, Al Tyson, how long has Newcastle Bible Church been looking for a pastor? Three years. Three years. We can raise up some people from within, and, and Nate Phipps officially started yesterday as our youth director. We're going to have a special Sunday for him next week, by the way. So one at a time. So it'll be a good Sunday. Um, but still, his responsibilities are, are limited because he's in a developmental role right now. And so what do we do going forward? How do we take advantage of the harvest that we have in front of us? Well, I think the solution, I believe the solution, is in this room. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And then skipping ahead to verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Flint Hills Bible Church is a composition of Holy Spirit-selected saints who have put you all together in this congregation, right? This is the assembly of Holy Spirit-selected saints for Flint Hills Bible Church. And the Holy Spirit has given each member a spiritual superpower and an ability to serve. And sometimes the Holy Spirit takes some of those among us and sends us to, to places that need them more than we do. I, I comfort myself with that fact, right? So that some of our pastors are going to be great blessings to other flocks, and that's the win. But in the meantime, it's not like the Holy Spirit leaves us hanging. There are gifted men and women here in this body, as I speak right now, who have the ability to help this church rise to the occasion and to help us to really experience our best days in front of us. I think that this is the Lord working through His providence, awaking many of us, many of you, from a serving slumber. There is, we are facing combat right now. This is an all-hands-on-deck moment. And the passage that we're about to go through, 1 Timothy 
Chapter 1, verses 6 through 7 is perfect for the occasion. Now, to give you uh, a little bit of background to help bring you up to speed, Paul is in prison. He knows that he's not getting out. He knows that he is about to finish his race. And he communicates a final epistle to, to Timothy. Timothy, who's been his faithful protege, his trusted lieutenant, his loyal assistant, his loyal ambassador and emissary, the one who is fighting the good fight alongside of him, he reaches out to Timothy with kind of a final charge, understanding that he is passing the baton of leadership to Timothy. Timothy won't have the support of Paul. He won't be able to appeal to Paul anymore. The weight of the ministry is about to fall on him. And he's in a difficult situation. There are false teachers in his church who are trying to poison the flock. They've done so against Paul to a certain extent. They're trying to turn them against Timothy. And Timothy has to rise to the occasion. Paul's not going to come back and regulate. And so after affirming Timothy's faith, he gets down to the brass tacks in 6 and 7. For this reason, I remind you to fan the flame, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given you... I'm sorry. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God, has, for God gave us, notice us, a, a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So this is a specific charge to Timothy, but notice how Paul includes us. God gave us. All of you have a spiritual gift. All of you have a supernatural power. If you, are, if you have trusted in Jesus, you have a supernatural power that can be used of the Lord to build up Flint Hills Bible Church. Now, to do this, we need to remember two truths about this. One, the gift needs maintaining. You need to maintain your gift. And secondly, this gift of the Holy Spirit is also a gift that keeps on giving. If we all steward our spiritual gifts, we all rise to the occasion, we all have answered the all-hands-on-deck call, our best days will be ahead of us. So let's look at the first point. The gift needs maintaining. Verse 6. For this reason I remind you, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, for this reason, it takes you back to the previous passage, which says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you. I mean, he, he's saying for this reason, listen, Timothy, I know you love the Lord. I've seen it in your grandmother. I've seen it in your mother and I've seen it in you. You have this sincere, true, robust faith. And now I, I, want you to, I want you to do something. I want you to do something, Timothy. I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
He needs to rekindle something. A, a gift that he received from God, not an innate ability, something that has been delegated to him, that was given through the laying on of hands. Now, naturally, to find out what this gift is, we need to figure out what is this whole laying on of hands business. Well, in 1 Timothy 4.14, Timothy tells, uh, Paul tells Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. This speaks of kind of a, a commissioning ceremony. Remember when uh, in Acts chapter 6, you had that crisis where they had to appoint deacons and they brought the deacons forward. The apostles laid their hands on, their, on the deacons. When Paul and Barnabas were commissioned by the church of Antioch to go to Asia Minor, the elders laid their hands on them. Laying on of hands is, is a sign of dedication, right? It, it's, a, it's an affirmation that this person has a giftedness and the calling to fulfill this specific ministry. Now, this past week, I was going through my, my files, which I don't do often enough. There's a lot of stuff in there that shouldn't be there. So, I contributed to the round file. But I found this. This is my uh, certificate of ordination, right? Aren't you impressed? It has on really nice paper. Yeah, even has a little seal here. But this is what it says. It says, We the undersigned hereby certify that upon the recommendation and request of the ordaining council and elders at Calvary Bible Church, which had full and sufficient opportunity for judging his gifts, for preaching and teaching, and after satisfactory examination by us in regard to his Christian experience, called to ministry, and views of Bible doctrine, Dave Hintz was solemnly and publicly set apart and ordained for the work of gospel ministry by the authority and order of the Board of Elders at Calvary Bible Church in Burbank, California, on the 11th day of February, 2006. Like one of the, like often when you're in full-time ministry and people are asking, what are you doing? You begin to ask yourself, what am I doing? Is this really what I'm supposed to do? Who's to say that I just didn't decide to become a self-anointed pastor. And that ordination was a real gift to me because it's basically telling me that this was really God's idea and God's call as affirmed by the Council of the Elders. That's not something I wanted or necessarily sought, but God sought me and called me to do. And that's a, that's a gift. And God has given me the gifts I need to do what the Lord has called me to do. And that's really the point that Paul's making to Timothy. Timothy, we laid hands on you. We conferred this. This is your calling. You are doing exactly what you're supposed to do. But what you need to do, Timothy, is you need to, to fan into flame. You need to kindle. If you ever build a fire, you know you need three things. You need fuel, you need heat, and oxygen. Excellent. Excellent. I, I love it when people answer my questions. This is great. And so if a flame is dying, you have to fan it into flame. And now what's really interesting about this is there's a reason why Paul is saying this. You know, just because, Timothy, you have a spiritual gift doesn't mean that it's always fired up. There are times when it begins to smolder, when it begins to dim. 
And what you have to do in that situation, you have to fan the flame. Now, while Paul told Timothy this, uh, we could guess. Remember, Timothy was in a very difficult situation where people were teaching false doctrine and they were attacking Paul. They were questioning Paul. If Paul's in prison, clearly he's doing something wrong. And, and they're also attacking Timothy as well, which is why we see in 2 Timothy 1.8, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. There might be some reticence on the part of Timothy to, to not want to stand by Paul because he's become such an unpopular figure, to perhaps be ashamed of him to maybe back down a little bit, to back off of the enemies. But Paul is saying, you need to fan the flame, Timothy. And, and how do you fan the flame? It's by using his gift. And one of the great passages, one of my favorite passages in all of the New Testament is 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. I charge you... In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And it goes on. How is he to kindle this gift? He's to use it. Paul's saying, I don't care how unpopular it makes you. You have a job to do, Timothy. You've been given a gift. The elders know it. God knows it. God calls you to it. You use your gift. Now, Timothy is not the only one with a gift in that church, is he? We know from 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. All of you guys have a spiritual gift. All of you have a supernatural ability and power to serve. You've been given a calling. And to fan the flame, to kindle it, to have burn brightly, it means you use it. You use it. Now, that can be overwhelming for a lot of people, right? Especially if you've kind of been out for a while. And that's why you need to remember the second truth that the gift that you have keeps on giving. Your gift keeps on giving. Paul strengthens his call to Timothy in verse 7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now that term spirit, if you look at the ESV, it's in the lowercase. If the NIV, it's in the uppercase. There's some debate about whether or not this is the Holy Spirit who gives a gift or if it's just your internal disposition. But I think you can kind of bridge the gap between both sides because who gives the spirit of power and love and self-control? The Holy Spirit is God's active presence in this world. God uses the Holy Spirit to develop all of these things and it fundamentally impacts our disposition. And so what Paul is saying is that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, did not give you a spirit of fear. And really fear, fear and what you fear controls you, doesn't it? 
I mean, when my kids are scared, you can't get them to do anything contrary to what they believe will help them, right? Fear has a controlling influence. And you look at Timothy. He's being called to preach to potentially angry audience. And I know for me, like preaching to you guys, this is pretty easy, right? But there's sometimes when I have an audience, like when I preach at a funeral, and I know that many of these people do not know the Lord, every funeral I have a choice to make about whether or not I will actually mention the word hell and that people really go there. I mean, I think there's an innate quality in all of us where we all want to be liked, right? We all want people to affirm us and to love us. So you look at Timothy, there might be a tendency for him to come at compromise, maybe back down, maybe not go there when he preaches. In the same way, when you look at, let's say, using a spiritual gift, there might be a reason why uh, you might be reluctant to step up and assume the responsibility. You might be afraid that you might fail. You might be afraid that if you were to take on this responsibility, you'll be trapped and not be able to get out. You might be afraid of just the burden of the responsibility of ministry. You might be afraid that if I were to use these teaching gifts that the Lord has given me, I'll incur stricter judgment. I mean, there's a lot of fear that you may have. And Paul makes it very clear that, Timothy, this fear doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. If your fear is keeping you from using your gift, that's not from the Holy Spirit. What is from the Holy Spirit is a spirit that gives you power. Power to stand firm. Power to make a stand. Power to speak and minister with conviction. Power that amplifies the gospel message. You look at the gospel message, it's the most powerful message on the earth. And the Spirit uses that message to change people's hearts. When you use your spiritual gift, you're using God's power to build His church. The Holy Spirit gives you supernatural ability to do what you don't think you can do. In fact, when you step in and you do some call to service that's above your pay grade, good for you. Because who are you trusting? Not yourself. There's no way I can do this. That's right. There isn't. There isn't. But he not only gives you power, he not only gives you the ability to fulfill this ministry, he gives you the motivation. He gives you power, and then what's the next word? Love. Love. What should drive the exercise of your spiritual gift? 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, after Paul talks about spiritual gifts, this is what he says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels that have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, you might be thinking, Dave, I know there's an opening in the children's ministry, and I'm, I guess I could technically do it, but I have the paternal instinct of this podium. It's like kids are afraid of me. I don't know why. They make me grumpy. I get irritated, and they're kind of gross. 
brother, the Lord can do a miracle in your life. <laughs> he can work through those kids to love you, and that will be something, right? And he will work with you to love your kids. You see, the church is a place where we love people who we really shouldn't love. We have so much not in common from the world standards. The fact that we love is a work of the Spirit. Your ability to love those children is a work of the Spirit. Your ability to love your enemies is a work of the Spirit, isn't it? And if you can love your enemies, who can you not love? You see, that is the driving force. If you think, man, I just don't have it. Don't wait to have it. Serve. Use the gift. Kindle into flame. And then watch the Lord work in your life and give it to you. Well, the third thing that the Spirit does is He he gives you self-control. He gives you the ability. He gives you the motivation. And then He gives you kind of the control to maintain it and to keep it running. Now, self-control is called the um, sanity of saintliness. It's the ability to control your mind, to make sure that you are guided by the Holy Spirit's wisdom and input. In Rudyard Kibling's famous poem, If, he says this, If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, Self-control is your ability to keep your head. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his, favorite, in his famous book, Spiritual Depression, says this. He says this about people who struggle with depression. The main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this. That we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Brilliant insight, Right? Instead of just letting yourself blather on and on, you say, shut up, self. This is what you will think. This is God's truth. This is what is true. This is God's promise. And then there's self-control. Does that make sense? And this self-control will will bleed over to other areas of your life. A lot of times people aren't able to, to serve because their life's just a mess. They don't have it under control. They're allowing other people to dictate their schedule instead of taking control of their schedule. Other people are dictating their lives just like other people are dictating their thoughts. But you bring it under control and that frees you up to serve. So taking it all together, Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, I know that you have true saving faith. And because I have confidence in this and I have confidence in your calling, what I want you to do is to rekindle the flame. I want you to double down on using your spiritual gift. I want you to double down on teaching and preaching the word and rising to this moment in my absence. And I have complete confidence that that's a possibility because God gave us, plural, a spirit that won't lead us to be afraid, but one characterized by power, and by love, and by self-control, right? That's, that's true of every Christian in this room. You've got a gift. So here's the question for you, honest time, and I can't answer this question for you. You have to answer it yourself. How brightly is that gift burning right now? 
How brightly is it burning? Now, when you talk about, when I talk about giving, sometimes there's an impulse to want to grab your wallet, right? Like, don't go there, Pastor Dave. When you talk about serving, there's a temptation to grab your calendar, right? And there might be a little bit of tension here because you're feeling a mental tug-of-war in your soul right now. And so I want to have a conversation with you and try to address maybe some of those thoughts that hold us back from fully serving and fanning the flame of the gift within us. Number one, there's no place to serve. There's no place to serve. I look around and everything seems to be running pretty smoothly. Everything seems to be going on just as it does. But the truth is there are a lot of places to serve and there's some major needs. And just because one ministry is staffed doesn't mean that you can't serve there. For instance, if you do security, you, fear, you free up somebody from security to move on to another ministry. If you do children's ministry, you free up somebody from children's ministry to move on and do another ministry. Does that make sense? When people serve, it has a rippling effect. It brings relief to other people so that they can step up and maybe uh, instead of filling in a gap here or doing some patchwork here, they can go off and expand some other ministries as well. Plenty of places to serve. Don't believe me? Talk to me or anybody in the office. We will have you signed up next week. <laughs> Two, I'm too inexperienced. You know, when, when you see somebody who just seems to be a master of their craft, you, you think, I could never do that. I can never teach a kid Sunday school like this person. They're just good. But you never saw them at the beginning. Do you remember when... Um, Moses ran into the burning bush and the Lord called him to go back to Egypt and leave all, lead all of his people out of the land of Egypt into the promised land. Do you remember Moses' reaction? Are you sure you got the right guy? Are you sure you got the right guy? I, I'm not very good with my words. Maybe you can have somebody help me. And the Lord is very patient and patient and patient. Then finally the the Lord just says, get out of there. Come on. I made your mouth. I'm calling you to do it. The Lord's saying, I called you. I equipped you. You go out and do it. The only way to get better at using your spiritual gift is to do what? Spiritual gift. The only way to get more experienced is to experience. Third, I'm dialed in with my extended family. My family has a lot of needs right now, and I need to be there for them. Now, I will not be the one to tell you to dishonor your mother and father. If, you're, if your parents need some help, you do have a spiritual obligation to do what you can to help them. But I will say that sometimes a good reason can have disastrous results. I'm going to give you a true story. Uh, some of Becky and I's best friends in California who they served alongside of us in the college ministry were super faithful, went on mission trips, highly involved in the church. They would be in that builder category. Well, after we left, uh, we found out that her brother, who happens to be his best friend, got cancer. And 
they felt a responsibility to take care of um, her brother. And they would go down there quite frequently. And, and as they kept on making the trips down there, they began to pull out of various ministries. They kept making the trips down there. Then they started skipping church every once in a while. And then they really stopped going to church altogether. And then it was her brother. Shortly before he died, her husband began to have an adulterous affair with his wife. And if you talk to her to this day, they said the biggest mistake we made is we stopped serving. Friend, honor your father and mother. But would it be possible to drive down on Friday and come back Saturday night? I can't make that decision for you. I'm just giving you the lay of the land. Fourth, we are too busy. We're too busy. Now, everybody has the same amount of time. So when you say you're too busy, it's usually you have to ask yourself, what's the, what are you busy with? And I have a couple of responses I want to do to this. If we only recruited people who are not busy for ministry, if we were to say, you know what? I see that you watch eight hours of daytime TV a day. You're the perfect person to put in be put in charge of VBS. What's wrong with that picture? Competent people are busy people. And the thing is, competent people are recruited from all sides. Right? There is a volunteer drought right now across the board, across various organizations. And anybody who has any competence is going to get a hard sell from whatever group you're involved in. They'll want you to take more responsibility. And so, it's very easy to get pulled into scouting, 4-H, coaching, music, music lessons, school activities, drama, you name it. Okay, and I'm, I'm going to go here, okay? I'm going to go there. Parents, how important are activities in the long run? Now, you may say, well, I do it for evangelism. Okay, then let me ask you an honest question. When have you, as a result of these activities, actually sat down with someone? And not to give an evangelism by osmosis, right? But actually broke down and shared the gospel with them and invited them to come to Christ. Now, if you are having those conversations, like you're actually having that conversation over and over again, more power to you. I think that is awesome. We need more of you to do that. But if you're not, be very, very careful about using evangelism as an excuse when you're not doing it. But we live in a world where there is tremendous pressure on families that if you love your kids, parenting is about driving them to activities and cheering them on from the stands. So let's say we're going to do a thought experiment here. 20 years from now, or let's say you get a phone call from your future self, who's 20 years down the road, okay? Your future self 
calls you on the phone and gives you all those details to make sure that you know that it's you. And you, you get to ask the question, how are my kids doing? How are my kids doing? And one says to you, oh, your son, he got a scholarship to play baseball in college. And you know what he does now? He has the elite traveling Emporia baseball team. He coaches it every weekend, and they've been going around the tournament, going around the state, and they've been crushing it. They're deeply involved in sports, and all those kids are becoming better baseball players as a result. Okay, that's one response. The other, your daughter is leading a women's Bible study. She is overseeing BBS. She is discipling multiple women who are growing in the Lord. Every night, her pastor gives thanks for four things. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, (laughs) and Janet. (laughs) She is making this incredible impact on the church. Okay? What would you rather hear? I mean, I think if we were to just sit down and say, I know it, I know it, but it's sports, and I love watching my son just dominate on the soccer field. You should see my daughter perform, it's beautiful. Remember a month ago we had 20 baptisms, I think 15 of them were high school students. And it really caused me to think, what was it that made it such an enriching time. Do you know what COVID did? It shut down every activity. No activities. Kids were at school, but you know what activity stayed open? Probably shouldn't have, but we did anyway. We kept the youth group going. We kept summer camp going. We kept the winter retreat going. So the kids had nothing to do The activities were purged from their lives. All they had was church. And what happened? Is that a coincidence? I mean, you could be a slave to your kid's schedule. Or what you could say is, kids, this is the family business. We're a family that's committed to building the church. And you're going to be a part of it. You know what? When I look at this past year, and we had so many people had to step out, there were major gaps in our church. And do you know how we kept these ministries running? Do you know how childcare survived on, on Tuesday morning? It's because kids stepped up and watched the other kids. College students filled in gaps for the ministry. You know how many kids do children's ministry right now? Many of them do kids' worship so that you can be in here. Do you know how many we have doing that? 20. 20. I'm proud of our kids. I am proud of our kids. Let's get more of that. What's your vision for your children? What is really important at the heart? If you really believe it, make choices now. Prune your schedule so that you can be a family that is committed to building the church together. Fifth, I'm in a season of life. I can't tell everyone, I'm a college student. I really need to work on getting all this done. You know, my, I, I'm building my career. 
And once I get established, then I'll serve. You know, we just got married and we need to kind of figure out things together. We just had kids and we just can't get out the door. Well, you know how it is when you have kids involved in all these activities. We just don't have time. Teenagers, let me tell you, they take up a lot of your time. You know what, my kid, my parents, um, I need to look out for my parents. They require some extra time. I need to spend more time with my grandkids, right? If you're to say season of life, well, which season are you talking about? Every season can give you an excuse not to serve, but every season can give you an opportunity to, to do so. Then six, you know what? It's just nice to enjoy the church. I just love enjoying the church. It's just nice to be here and just rest. Now, I understand this. There is a saying that a writer is the happiest when he's not writing. When I go to church, like last week, it was great. Alvin was preaching. When I did communion, I took communion, and maybe I shouldn't do this, but I often do. I often afterwards, I think, should I drop that second illustration or not? I don't have to worry about it. If there's a squelch on the microphone, do you know what I think when I'm not preaching? Not my problem. <laughs> not my problem. Good luck, Alvin. Right? It, it's nice. The, the fact is, when you become a builder and you commit yourself to truly earnestly serving, and you, you become the person that the ministry will rise and fall on whether or not you participate, It traps you. It traps you. You can't get out. I look at Mark Kraft. These chairs are set up every Sunday. He delegates and stuff, but if everybody falls through, guess who comes in? He has to do it. I look at Pam Standwick running the children's ministry. If people don't show up, it either gets canceled or she has to step up. Do you know what I'm saying? If you're counseling somebody, you can't just walk away from that. You have to see it all the way through. I mean, the fact is, when you are deeply involved in ministry to the point that you can't walk away, you do lose freedom. You lose flexibility. There is a burden to that kind of ministry that is heavy at times. I think that's why a lot of people don't really want it, if they can avoid it. So why do it? Why be that poured out and invested in ministry? Well, let me give you six reasons. Ministry is your destiny. Ministry is your destiny. When, when God saved you, He saved you for a purpose. It's interesting. You go to Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 9, we read about the miracle of the gospel changing and transforming us, how, how God rescued us even though we were dead and walking as enemies of, of, of Christ and how we are saved by His rich and glorious grace. And why did He do that? 2.10. For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ministry is your destiny. God saved you not so that you can just enjoy heaven, but so that you can build his church. Secondly, ministry draws you closer to Christ. You, we often think about being like Christ means we have the patience and the love and the demeanor. But there's more to that. Paul says in Philippians 3.10, where he talks about why he suffers for the sake of the gospel. He says, he suffers that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings and become like him in death. He wants to be like every facet of Christ. I mean, you think about Jesus who worked tirelessly to, to serve people, to help people. He was a, a tired man falling asleep in the raging storm because he was exhausted. He was always pouring himself out for ministry. And when you do the same thing, there is a fellowship that you experience with, with Christ. Thirdly, it puts you in touch with the power of Christ. It puts you in touch with the power of Christ. Colossians 3, 1, through 20, 1 28 to 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, and he powerfully works within me. I mean, you think about the disciples who were delegated the, the power to cast out demons, the powers to heal people, and you think that would be spectacular. But you know, it's even greater. The Lord can work through you to see someone be one to Jesus Christ to have their soul changed forever through regeneration. The Lord can use you to encourage the faint-hearted so that they continue to persevere in the faith. The Lord could use you to confront a believer and, and rescue them or to help another believer be, be liberated from this ensnaring sin. Do you want to experience the power of Christ? Do ministry. Use your spiritual gift. That is God's power working through you. Fourth, ministry will never be in vain. You can build a company, companies will die. But you build a church that will never, ever die. Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church will never die. He will build his work on people. He will use people to win people to build the church. It will never die. It has eternal value. Fifth, ministry forges friendships. When you co-labor with Christ... When you have the fellowship of the sufferings, you also have friendship with other people. You know, there is something transcendent about being in this transcendent ministry together. And look at how many friendships are, are forged in ministry in the Gospels. Peter and John. In this book, we have Paul and Timothy, Priscilla and Aquila, Paul and Barnabas. I mean, Becky and I have a special joy in doing ministry together. We love it. When we see our kids get involved in ministry, there's a special fellowship that we have with them about it. Building the church together is a way of building friendships and family. And six, your ministry is going to be evaluated. Okay? What do you mean? All of us are going to stand before the Lord. And on that day, these passages will come true. First one is 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Notice how he says we. It's not you. It's not non-Christians. It's we. Paul includes himself. So that we, that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
Now, in including himself, he's not talking about the great white throne judgment where everybody will be condemned. This is a judgment, when you look at the context, that will evaluate the works of the ministry. It's something that Paul taught them before in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is in Christ Jesus, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved as only through the fire. And so the idea is that we have this big house that is being built. Everyone who is a Christian is a subcontractor. We are all building our own little section. And each of these sections will be evaluated at some future time. And some who built with gold and silver and precious stones, the the fires of judgment will burn on it, and they will stand. Others that were built with wood, hay, and stubble is sloppy work. It will collapse, although the person will still be rescued, right? So this is not a judgment of heaven and hell, but it is a, a judgment that will determine whether or not you receive a reward. And what's the reward? Well, as we go on to 1 Corinthians 4, 4, 4 through 5, Paul, he's defending himself, but he hints at this larger issue. He says, For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the proper time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And then this is the key phrase. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. There will be a day where every believer in this room will stand before Jesus Christ. And everything you have done for him will be tested. And if it stands, what you will hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, can you imagine that moment where you see the glorified Jesus? He has his eyes trained on you and your life you will see him with the host of heaven who are praising and worshiping him. He is the most important person by far in this vast room. And he's going to tell you, as everyone is praising him, right? He's going to redirect at least some praise to you and say, well done. And at that moment, if you could speak, if you, Jesus, you were worth it. You were worth it. I did not know how worth it you were until now, but you were really worth it. And one of the greatest privileges in my life was to build up your body, 
One of the greatest privileges in my life was to adorn your bride with righteous deeds. It was the greatest privilege of my life and I would never take it back. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? You see, I I thank God for this all-hands-on-deck moment. This is an opportunity for, I think, all of us to recalibrate and think through. What is my spiritual gift? And if you're married or you've got parents or whatever close friendship you have, it'd be worth sitting down after this and just asking, are we net receivers or net givers in this church? Are we builders? Is, are there things in our life that interfere with our ability to really be fully in and invested and really build up this church? What do we want Jesus to say about what we have done? Is he worth this kind of sacrifice? And I'm convinced, and I know this church, I'm convinced that the Lord is going to work in all of your hearts. And even though we're going to be down potentially two pastors, even though we're going to have to bridge a lot of gaps, even though we're going to have these abundant opportunities to reach out and minister the gospel to people who really need it, the Lord is going to energize us and the Spirit will flow through all of you to do a marvelous work of grace in this church and in this community. So let's respond to this all-hands-on-deck call by getting on deck and offering our hands to serve. Let's pray. Well, Father, we are, we're grateful for this moment where we can reflect on what you're doing in this church. We know that you are in charge. Holy Spirit, you know, we know that you have ministered in us and you want to minister through us. And I pray that you will move many brothers and sisters here to just rededicate themselves to being your hands and feet, to being your voice, to building this church. And we pray that you will use us to build up this body, to be a bright light in this community, to reach many people for you, and to help many grow in their faith. Father, Please help us in Jesus' name. Amen.